0: Welcome to Licensed Psychologist, Now What?, a podcast about the journey psychologists and psychotherapists go through as they reclaim their intuition and unleash their healing gifts while maneuvering getting licensed, life, and making a living. And although this podcast host and many of the guests are mental health professionals. The information provided is not meant to be a substitute for being diagnosed and treated by a licensed mental health, medical, and related professionals, or for supervision and or consultation purposes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Licensed Psychologist, Now What? Welcome. I'm so excited. Today, I had like a star moment, oh. and <laughs> and I'll share that because I feel like that's also going to help me ground into the present. I've been following you, Becca. I have no idea how our path collided, if it was Bionisha or I have no idea, but I remember I saw the book that you have, which I have it here. Ah. So beautiful. And I was like, I'm in this stage right now of my life, so I was so intrigued by it and the theme and everything. And I've been listening to your podcast. So when I got from your podcast, I guess like PR folks asking for you to be in my podcast, it felt like a star moment. Like, wait, what? Like she wants to be in my podcast? Of course. And I even told my podcast producer to kind of like, yes, please, you know, communicate with them ASAP. So I am so thankful that our path collided. I know things happen for a reason and I am so Excited to have this conversation and to introduce you to my communities and for my community to be able to receive messages to remind them of important things in their lives, roots, ritual, belonging, and all those things that have been taken by so many things. Yeah, we've talked about all the things (laughs) in other episodes. So that's like my little intro to you. Mm -hmm. But thank you so much for saying yes. Thank you so much for being here and welcome. To the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah.
0: So to start, if you can share with us, I know I already said your name is Becca and all that, but if you can Piastrelli, last name, if you can share with us a little bit more about you and your services and all that, but
1: also what do you love the
0: most about?
1: Yeah, I um so hi. My name is Becca Piastrelli. And what do I do? I'm in such an interesting evolution of what the answer is to that question. But I'm an author. I wrote a book called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And I once upon a time led retreats around the world. Uh, once upon a time, I gathered women online and in person in this quest to achieve, achieve is the wrong word, Discover and connect with their own belonging in a world that has really severed us from that sense, that sense of being home, that sense of having our roots here and now on the earth. And we're talking, we're recording this at the beginning of winter here in the northern hemisphere where I'm really taking a pause. I've just had I have a young child and I'm in this uh, transition of my identity into mother. And so I'm in this beautiful new discovery phase in which I am going through all the practices and rituals that I wrote about over the last seven years, the cycle of the last seven years to come back to myself in this new iteration. So that's in a nutshell, you've got me in the cocoon phase of the caterpillar to butterfly metaphor. Hmm. I guess you and me, we were both, it sounds like
0: pregnant at the same time. Oh my gosh,
1: I, a, I didn't know that.
0: I had a my second child was born May twenty twenty.
1: Pandemic mothers. Yes. Oh which is very
0: different from my first, who's yeah. six now, but it was yeah, I still so I hear you. I feel like Oof. this this is a second cocoon kind of like figuring out. Yeah. In many ways. Yeah. Yeah. And figuring out in such a
1: hard time. Yeah. A a really isolating pressure cooker time with a lot of unknowns. Gosh, you had your child in May. So yeah, that was a really Mm -hmm. scary, scary time. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's informed a lot of my work moving forward around loneliness and isolation and belonging in this moment in history. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. And it's a journey. I definitely... I can compare with my oldest in terms of being a mom during that time, 2015, and it was so different. And one of the things that I felt after going into the cocoon, going through my own difficult, what saved me was community, Hmm. was meeting, we created a group, we called it Mondays Moms or something like that on Facebook. And it was a group of moms that met at my midwife's office. And then we continue meeting outside in our homes. Mondays at 10 a.m. Sometimes we had, (laughs) sometimes we had popcorn, chocolate, and sparkling wine at that time, while the kids were on the floor, and that was so healing for me. So when I was going to have my second child before the pandemic, I was, oh, I know what I need to do. I need to find my community, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to this group. I have all the places that I knew I was going to go, and then boop 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 boop, and it's, it's yeah, and even belonging as a mom. Mm. Because I feel like that in itself has also been taken away in many ways mm-hmm. of the experience of, yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. just wanted to share that so that way you know we were kind of in it in a way without knowing. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, right. We were like cosmically holding hands as we got mm-hmm. through that. Yeah, which is still very much happening. So, our children are. Toddlers now, but yeah, mm. it it had a lasting impact on me. It really sealed in my mission, really, which is around talking. like I don't have the answers here. like this book is not about how to feel belonging. That's such a unique path, but I think each of us as human beings has our own story, like our own ancestral story, our own story, whether it's around motherhood or sickness or rejection or religion. there's so many ways we have felt this pain and there's something about the pandemic that for a lot of us just sharpened it, right? Like, Ooh, I can't really ignore this anymore. And that's what happened to me when all the things were taken away. I got really angry, really angry because I was like, I needed that so much and I can't even have that. And I'm being told to just like get through it for the collective. And I understood that for the sake of public health. And then on the other hand, I was like, oh, this is really showing us that we as a culture are are missing something and mothers are creating life. So Mm -hmm. where's our honoring and our support? I could talk about that this whole time, but (sighs) it's a big one, right? It's a big one. Oh, it is. I even have reflected
0: a lot recently on how it was a slap on my face because I felt so prepared. I mean, there was a lot of other things went through when I found out I was pregnant expecting my second but I was like okay if I need my therapist I know where to find them <laughs> I have the groups I just need to you know do these things and this time I'm gonna do x y and C. and you know do do mm-hmm. I'm gonna get a postpartum doula this time mm-hmm. I'm gonna get and I did get a postpartum doula for a little bit but that was even so anxiety provoking because it was like June yeah. we were still in the stage that we were yeah. like are we all gonna die <laughs> right and and yeah, risking my life and her life and my family's life for the sake of having several hours of respite while being postpartum. It was, mm-hmm. yeah. So the anger, I I hear you and the frustration and, the, and so many things have been missed. I was able, I was listening to one of your episodes about rituals that how as a culture, we don't have that many. And sometimes then we over-focus on you know, like weddings and baby showers and bridal showers. Mm. I was able to have a baby shower, right? I think it was the week before everything closed. It was like the weekend mm-hmm. of something 15 in March. But I have friends that they were also pregnant with their first and they had everything planned and everything went out. And and no wonder when their baby was six months, she did like the most biggest celebration. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was no, going to say. Did, yeah. yeah, she did the most biggest celebration, like backstage. It, it was like Good. beautiful, beautiful. Good. And she was like, I need it. I did not have a baby shower. Nobody was able to come. So
1: I know, I know. Mm. So, mm. I had a baby shower that no one showed up to. Oh, Yeah, brutal. A drive-by. Mm. Yeah. No one came. Oh sitting on the su- pregnant, sitting oh. at the end of my driveway. Yeah, it was brutal. It was oh, a brutal oh. moment. Yeah. And I know I I'm not alone. You. Yes.
0: Yes. And those are the things that I know some people will be like, oh, come on, you're still alive. Your child is fine and all that. But we forget how important are those things.
1: Yeah. The rites of passage, being seen as transforming, being celebrated. It's not just It's not just I want my party and my presence. That has nothing to do with it, actually. It's the witnessing by our community in our major moments. And if the only thing that's lasted are weddings and baby showers, then there's so much pressure on it, like you're saying. Yeah. And it's actually like a human being goes through so many meaningful transitions throughout their life, no matter their gender identity, whether they have children or not, there's just so much that needs to be looked at and honored. And we as a culture need to remember that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like we just jumped in. <laughs> but yeah, we
1: did. So <laughs> it's all
0: good. It's all good. I like doing that. Can you share with the audience a little bit of your journey of finding that importance of belonging and, you know, into your book? Mm. Like what spiked that interest in you? Has that
1: been something that you've always been interested Well, I didn't have the words for it until probably like maybe five or seven years ago. So I just sort of had that existential ache my whole life. So, my sort of shtick that I say is belonging is the onion I've been peeling my entire life, you know, but it's like the many, the universally layered onion. The deeper I go, the more I realize I have to discover about myself and the world around me and the systems I live in and my ancestral stories and all of it. And I'd say, the dominating feeling of my childhood experience and then growing up and into like school years and then into college years and then into my 20s was a sense of not belonging, a sense of not feeling at home in my body, mm. in the natural world, in school, in it just didn't fit. And I found myself just feeling like, oh, I can't get it right. And ultimately, you know, that's me wanting to feel like I've got the seal of approval from the teacher. I've got the unconditional love from the parent. I've got the like all knowing love from the like spiritual deity. You know, there's just so many ways I was seeking it and not getting it. And so my book is really stemmed from my journey and it's my hypothesis. There's so many theories out there about the roots of unbelonging and mine really map to these four areas land lineage community and the self these are four areas that i've really worked at cultivating practices it's not one fell swoop it's not one big ritual and you belong these little areas mm-hmm. where like oh i i have realized like i do not feel fully at home or safe in the natural world and yet i long for it what's my relationship with nature what does nature even mean why do i feel separate from it when that is where i am from lineage that can mean so many things for me it was like oh, I'm living on land my ancestors never called home. You know, where are my ancestors from? I identify as a white woman in these times of, you know, like racial upheaval. How do I identify in that? And who, how do, what do I know of my history of harm and of good? Like where, what is that story? Do I know the waters that my ancestors drank and where they, the soils they planted their crops? community. That's the big one. That's a huge one for me. And for so many people, the number one question I get is like how to cultivate meaningful adult friendships. I mean, mamas know for real, but yeah, just how I never felt like I fit in. I felt like I had to perform to fit in. I was like the popular girl who thought at any day now they're going to realize who I am and going to kick me out. Just couldn't feel at ease in community, particularly female community. And then the self. Oh, that's a many layered onion, which is why there are amazing psychotherapists in the world, which is how can I trust my body as it is? How can I trust my feelings? How can I, you know, work with the parts of myself that feel like they don't deserve to be here? And so the book is, shares my story, shares in a way that is offering the reader to. Identify their story. I have journal prompts, I have practices, rituals, recipes to hopefully be of service to another being's journey to understand and cultivate a deeper sense of belonging. Thank you for sharing so many
0: things resonating. Hmm. One of the things that's standing out the most for me, and I know for many of my listeners, is that aspect of being rejected, but being pushed away, being not accepted and being even dragged, you know, my history with my lineage of African Spaniards and Taínos from Puerto Rico, mm. like people being dragged out of their lands to work yeah. on a land that they had no idea the ones that they were there being like killed and all that and then these other ones that are coming being like this is my land and then I look like this. I am what some people might say, I guess depending on how I do my hair if I have it straight I'm more of that white passing. If I have it curly, I think it brings a little bit more of that. Oh wait, she has really curly hair, so so maybe she's mixed or what what is she? Um mm. and there's all these aspects of of understanding that of coming back home. And then living in I live in LA, and this is not a land that as far as I know, any of my ancestors live. And also feeling like I'm taking space. I'm taking the space of other people. It's like so complex, mm. so complex. Even I'm thinking on. I know we're like in winter in in LA for winter. <laughs> LA. <laughs> well, it's more than in Puerto Rico. Let me just say that. I'm wearing yeah. a long sleeve shirt, so yeah. that says a lot. It's like sixty something. Puerto Rico. My parents are there right now, and they're like, "It's so cold," and I'm like, "Okay." And they send me the screenshot of the weather, 78. And I'm like... Oh, freezing. <laughs> yeah, that's super cold. <laughs> but I remember when I was there, 75 was cold. We would wear a jacket. So also like understanding that in my body being like getting used to now to some seasons when I come from an island in the tropical region that it's like throughout the whole year is kind of the same. So also trying to understand this whole piece of seasons and working not working and and how does that apply to people from the tropicals? Mm. And oh so many things. And then moving here to feeling seasons, how is that Mm. impactful to my body? Mm. Yeah. And food here.
1: Yeah. Well tropical Tropical lands have seasons. They're just probably, it's like wet and dry, probably.
0: Yes. And yeah, it gets a little bit cooler, but things can grow throughout the whole year, you know, and... and Right.
1: So there's the centering of European seasons right there, which is just a form of like colonial oppression on your way of being, where your ancestral way is not Mm -hmm. four seasons, like maybe, you know, winter for your ancestors. I mean it sounds like you have ancestors from various lands. So there's a lot to work with there. So like, what does seasonal living feel like to you from an ancestral perspective from which lands? And then what does it feel like, you know, on lands of Los Angeles now? Yeah, that's, there's a lot to work with. And I'd say, tune into what your body wants and knows. I think if you get too into your head, yeah, which is not, which is something I don't understand, right? Most of my ancestors are from one place, you know? That's that's a lot to work with. And I appreciate you sharing that because I know you're not alone and feeling that way. And that's where I always say, like, go to what your body's telling you. You know, I talk a lot about winter um hibernation and wintering over and how like my ancestors like rested because they just worked a long harvest. And I've had a lot of people, and i would be like, hey, Becca, I am the most creatively alive in the winter. Like, I that is when I am, like, I don't do anything most of the rest of the year, but I really move my energy in the winter. And I'm like, yeah, it really, that's true. How much of this is, have I been centering European agrarian practices, which is like perpetuating, these harmful systems, I'm trying to unlearn. So yeah, it's the many layered onion right there. And it's complex, but each of us has our own way of tuning in. Mm. That what you
0: said, I'm just hearing, awe, like a big aha, because yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it from a very Spaniard colonial way of seeing it. Because that was one of the reasons why they love getting to the tropical islands. Because in Spain and Europe, they were not able to
1: you know produce and and make money, they could make, make money, money year round, yes. yeah oh uh. <laughs> wow, that's big
0: it is big, it is big because it's definitely something that I've been working, and I know a lot of my audience are Latinx or identify as minority or have been minoritized, and that aspect of being the immigrant or or coming here is that work, 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 work work, work. work. And and as a survival, because, yes, some of my ancestors, that was the way that they survived, which it was figuring things out, being self-sufficient, all of that. But it's not serving me or many of our communities. If you're not in that survival, of course, there's people and they need that. But if you're not, like if you're like your basic needs are okay, and you're continuing to that perpetuating beliefs. Yeah, it's so damaging for our bodies.
1: Mm. So, hmm. Yeah. And it's so interesting. The epigenetics of it all, I find really interesting about how, like, the trauma is stored in our DNA and passed along. And I think about it as far as like productivity culture. Yeah. Uh, and you bring in this really powerful element of like having immigrant or enslaved people as your ancestors, how it can feel truly unsafe from a nervous system level to, to rest. Yeah. And how radical that act is. Yeah. yeah, it's like not simple and yet it is the most important thing you can do, right? Yeah.
0: Yes. And to be able to know, oh, I could be doing X, Y, and C, and that can get me X, Y, and C,
1: but I'm not. That is yeah. a big choice.
0: For a little bit of griefy, of
1: right? The like Ooh. grief of saying, I'm not going to do that. Yes. Like, Oof. Yeah, the letdown.
0: Mm. And also then the community... Seeing you as lazy because mm-hmm. you have all these opportunities and you're wasting them. So then feeling this, the pressure from even parents, caregivers, neighbors, your community, because that's what the expectation is out there. And there's so many words. There's even a lot of memes about Latina moms like Sunday at 6 a.m. Come on, wake up and, you know, clean up this and that. And it's like, oh, my goodness.
1: Right. It's so yeah. real. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's a huge paradigm shift. Like we are alive in this time, you know, we are alive in this time where there's, there is so much opportunity and also there is so much burnout and there's so much more awareness and connection and our ancestors weren't alive in this time. So to shift the paradigm is like a massive, massive task. And I think sometimes talking about memes on Instagram, Mm -hmm. it's like, we are the breakers of the wheel. We are the cycle changers. Like, okay, well, that's like probably a lifetime's worth of work. Like, That's Mm -hmm. a big deal. A lot of conversations with ancestors living and dead. Like there's a lot of somatic work we need to do to, that's not simply put in like a quote gram, right? That's a big thing. Yes. And then it becomes the next big to do thing and if you're
0: not a cycle breaker or you didn't follow oh, X, Y, and C, then you're being you're failing even at that. So then oh, you're sh- failing man. your ancestors. It's like this huge thing. I know. I'm oh, like, sh- I'm <laughs> like, we're still gonna make we're still gonna make mistakes. And yeah. my that idea also comes from a very savior, even colonial way of saying uh-huh. like I am the cycle breaker. It's me. Versus, yeah, it's me. But we forget that. Even let's say like long, long time ago, my enslaved lineage ancestors from Africa that they came here and they did all the sacrifices for their children to, you know, eventually be better. And then each lineage is doing sacrifices and paving the way based also on society and the limitations. So we're all doing that. There's not just one person, but then, and maybe you're changing one aspect, which is great. You're not the savior. They also have created things for you. So like mm-hmm. really, and also the nuances about it, because I'm, you know, psychology in me is also hearing, but yeah, but they're a family of abuse and all that. And yes, mm-hmm. there's all that as well. So being, you know, conscious about the nuances of all that, but so much about the pressure that we put in social media memes of saving mm-hmm. the world and mm-hmm. being completely on one side when we're still, in a weird in between I feel.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, really good point. Yeah. It's not quite trauma informed, is it? And it mm-hmm. is perpetuating this like Protestant saviorism. Yes. Wow. wow. It's just, it's a lot <laughs> of systems colliding. Yeah. I think there's anything that I just learn even more of year after year is like, it's a pretty tangled web that we are like, unweaving <laughs> like like a knot like i think about chain necklaces all knotted together and you have to just like like take yeah. tweezers and squint your eyes just to get one little thing you know it's that level and so that's big and we shouldn't be in a rush right that's yeah. another theme in my life and in my book of like being at nature's pace no matter what land you're looking at nature's got a pace and it's slower than this and even if we want to contribute to breaking the cycle we don't have to do it quickly. It can't happen quickly.
0: No, no. Well, I, you know, I remember from hearing from a marketing perspective that people need to see things at least seven times. So, and when I work with trauma, I know there are a lot of models like quick fix, and whenever yeah. I see them, I, I run away. And there's this belief again, very kind of American way of, go big, go home. Let's do it fast. Let's do the one thing that's gonna this thing is going to take you out. And I also see the other side of being years and years and years and not working through it. But there's that in between. And when I work with clients now, after 13 years, I am more of, Hmm, we're not quite ready to go into processing the trauma. Let's build you up Mm. more. Let's build community. Let's build resources. Because if we go there, usually things get worse before they get better. Yeah. And that might impact your finances, that might impact your parenting, that might impact your sleep, your health. Mm-hmm. And it could actually create more damage and to go slow, but steady.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's so responsible and beautiful of you. Yeah. I know I, just before I got on here, I was listening to a podcast called Sounds Like a Cult by Amanda Montel, who wrote mm-hmm. um, Cultish Language mm-hmm. of Fanaticism. I keep bringing this up in interviews because. A lot of times when we're talking about belonging, cults and and like false belonging is brought up. Anyways, it was an episode on Tony Robbins. Uh, I don't know if people are familiar with Tony Robbins. He's like one of the most world famous um, inspirational speakers. And um, he's quite wealthy and quite problematic. But right, he's really in this culture and makes a lot of money off saying like, "You can we can just fix it right now if you just step out of your victim mindset. That's all you got to do. Yeah, Just think, he's part mindset. of the... Yeah, yeah, All just choose mindset. not to
0: be a victim of your trauma. <laughs> what? <sighs> and yet at the same time, there's nuances, which is why it makes this conversation so complex. Mm-hmm. Because there's times that we can be sabotaging ourselves when we're not there yet. Yeah. And that could be a mindset shift and taking in consideration the factors that have contributed, which are not you only. I don't believe that we are community and we're in a web and we have, you know, systemic, you know, all these
1: things that, that influence us. So, yes, we are all connected. I think, yeah, there's a way in which I take in Tony Robbins language to be quite individualist. Oh, yes. Yeah. To be like merit, meritocratic, right? Like you just got to bootstrap it, right? Like just get yourself out of it. And the truth of the matter is, is we get, we get all of us out of it. Like collective liberation is the only way. And that's been a big, in my path, particularly around community belonging and self-belonging is to really notice where this like rugged individualist mindset is still living in me, you know, this like unlearning within ourselves. And, you know, like we know cognitively about colonization, we want to decolonize our lives. Right. And then there are these moments where like, I realize I am trying to do it alone, or I am not trusting my neighbor or asking for help because it feels unsafe because I don't feel like I can receive it and realizing, oh, there's like that individualism, which has been a part of our culture for many generations now. I find that to be, it's always like a little frustrating because you're like, God, there it is. But we can be gentle with ourselves and noticing this stuff, right? We can keep moving on the path.
0: Yeah. And then when we find out things like that, instead of like, it's like, okay, awareness. And then what do we do? But some people, they We stay there. I'm saying some people, and I'm including myself. We stay there, like you know, like circling around. And I'm so bad. And yeah, especially if you've gone through cycles of your life that that was part of surviving for you, or the way that you manage things, or the only way that that was acceptable with your caregivers or family members or community to be Mm -hmm. very much like. I'm so bad. And oh, that was accepted. Yeah. yeah so, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Marty them. But uh. in terms of what would you say have been some of the most recent, let's say most recent obstacles for you in as a new mama now, but in this sense of finding that sense of belonging and, and working through those four areas that you share in your book?
1: Uh, Can you ask that question again?
0: What are some of the most recent obstacles that you've experienced in your journey of belonging and via the four areas that you were sharing? Most recent obstacles? Yeah, most recent. Community, lineage, and length.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Well, community, number one, being a pandemic mother, that's, it's like, there's this phrase we teach what we need to learn uh, of like, we're, we're drawn to what maybe is like one of the the more deeper pains of our lives. Uh, and I am a gatherer of community, but I, I also struggle in that area quite a bit, particularly in the pandemic, um, particularly with community members that don't all fall in the same belief system around this pandemic. It's, that's like, that's like a privilege (laughs) to be able to have friend groups where everyone's like we think the same way about what's going on. So that's I've just been in this place of reminding myself to not give up around calling in community that I and we all need and that we can have conscious and consensual conversations around health and safety and that we can we can make it happen. We can make it happen. And we need it. And I freaking need it. So that's something that I'm constantly trying to not go get into a place of despair and giving up, being like, no, no, we can figure this out. So that's one. And then I'd say the other one is as a new mother, like my relation to myself, you know, my body, my body is different. I'm still like, what is this body? Who is this body? Like it is the same body that I was born In, which is a freaking miracle. And I look at my child's body and I'm like, you have that body for life. Wow. That body was created in my body. Wow. And so I'm in this, I'm in my body. And I, you know, like the cultural story around a woman like me who gave birth 15 months ago is like the snapback, you know, and the like getting your body back. And it's like, it didn't go anywhere. (laughs) It's right here. But really (laughs) contending with. Not feeling full um, body acceptance, you know, because I'm still getting to know her. And also in that postpartum time, especially if you breastfeed, I'm breastfeeding, like it's constantly in flux, you know? So it's like, I just feel like I'm getting to know a completely new being that's also housing my bones and organs and soul. So it's an interesting, oh, and hormonally, (laughs) it's so wild, just like the dips and the, So I keep hearing this term, like this term, like return to yourself or get back to yourself. And I'm like, I think I need to let my old self, you know, there's, I've been talking a lot about the ritualizing of like letting go of not just the body I had, but like the beliefs I had, the freedom of time I had, and just letting that go so that there isn't pressure to like come back to something that no longer is and it's a lot it's creepy and it's why a lot of it's a lot of women are afraid of having kids and convince themselves that won't happen to them in order to get themselves to have kids i was one of them i was like it's not going to happen to me it's not going to happen to me right but it it happens right it happens it is it is a new i mean i just like walked through a portal into a new lifetime that's how i feel and it's very disorienting and it's hard and i'm seeing Right now, I really gave myself. I don't know. I'm not sure if I had a harder time than other women, but comparison is a killer. I'm doing Mm -hmm. it though. (laughs) Like, it's, I'm, I've really had to take, I mean, it's almost a year and a half since I gave birth, time to be in this messy middle and be like, oh, I am getting to know a new me. Mm -hmm. I'm getting to know a new me. And so, yeah, like touching my body, loving my body moving in my body, dressing my body, you know, even like cycles are differently different and just greeting it as if, as if it's like a a new beloved. Mm. I hear
0: you. And it brings so many memories, Mm. which now it's called, you know, I mean, it's that term of matrescence, and or matrescence. I know there's different ways um, to pronounce it, but yeah, with my first, I I felt so lost for like almost two years and a half. And oh, thank you for saying that. It was it was brutal. It was brutal. And part of my journey was that as a psychologist, even though I don't specialize in little, little ones, but I was trained as a child psychologist. So I was like, I got this. I know there's books and all that, but I got this. And then I felt like not only like the worst mom, but also the worst psychologist because I was not applying what I knew because my body felt so different it felt everything was new and this second time I'm still there ish but it's different it's different it's I think there was a lot of like oh I went through that and I did these resources but the other part yeah I can resonate so much still my babies. Call her baby. She's a toddler. And last night, first night ever that I put her to sleep, and she was standing up screaming and crying. I would go in and out Ugh. for like 45 minutes. And I'm like, please don't tell me that you're in a sleep regression of the 18
1: months. No, cause... no, 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 no.
0: Oh my We're God. We're not going to say was... it. We're not going to say it. <laughs> oh. And then she did not want it to nap, I guess, again with the babysitter. And I'm like, You were sleeping so good because sleep was the thing that with my son was the hardest. So so my daughter has been easier, but, but yeah, you're always, moms, you're always, and caregivers, we're always letting go of lots of plan. I was planning, I put her to sleep and I'm like, I'm going to watch something. I'm going to, you know, read, (laughs) take a long shower. And then my husband went out walking. He didn't even take his phone and she was crying. And I was texting him that I saw the phone next to me. And I'm like, Wait, it's gonna be me. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So yeah, I was almost gonna bring her down because I was hungry. I was eating as well. I didn't have dinner. And I'm like, if she cries one more time, I'm gonna bring her down and thank God I went and, you know, moved her a little bit and she fell asleep mm. at almost nine PM but that was oh, like an hour. Brutal. And I was like, the stages of being a mom is so tough. Mm-hmm. The other piece that really resonated was that aspect that you were talking about community and like how privileged it is to find people that are all sharing your same beliefs and how in a way it feels that we're looking for that. And I say this, and I'm also recognizing again the nuances and, and so many communities that have been hurt by others and that they need this is part of their journey of healing, you know, being recognizing who's safe for them and who isn't mm. that is important, and at the same time sometimes we are then in ourselves if that was is that is not like a full danger sometimes we're shielding ourselves and not allowing anybody that thinks different It's like, okay, canceled out, yeah you no, know? and I remember being like, even in my Instagram, I feel like a lot of the people that I had, my algorithm was showing me were very much that to the point that I had to like mute a lot of them because I was like, this is stressful. I'm going through a lot. And then I come here and all I see is all this cancellation or all this, you know, calling people out. And I'm like, why can we go back to communicating and I know sometimes that's needed and there's nuances what I'm saying and at the same time some things can be talked and also learning to accept other people's differences
1: Mm.
0: and neighbors one of the things that has saved me this time has been where I live there's the neighbors are very much connected Mm. and the kids are kind of like the same age with my oldest so that piece has been life-saving and for the most part you know LA's liberal Californians so a lot of them share a lot of my beliefs and all that, but there's things that they don't. And I'm like, you know, it, if it's something that is not life threatening or it's like hurting me or my kids, I'm like, we
1: have to learn to talk about differences mm-hmm. and
0: and accept one another.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking about this so, so much, particularly because just this like community care piece is so like that is the future that we learn and it's like a radical idea and it's also just so simple and yet we really struggle as a culture with it right now particularly now with conversations around politics vaccine masks i mean these are really divisive conversations which that that's what it is right and i think so i live i too live in california i live north of you where we have wildfires Every six months out of the year, and where I mm-hmm. live, in particular, we've had him come pretty close. And so all around here we we have to know evacuation routes, we have to pack our bags. Often, you know, we need to have our go bags and we and I realized like we were doing it on my road, but we weren't talking to our neighbors and it's like, I have a neighbor across the street, and I'm very sure we do not vote the same way, you know? I can tell. But it's like they're elderly. You know, she fell and like broke her wrist last year, you know, and I need to be able to know that we can evacuate together. I need to know like they can rely on me and I can rely on him on them. And like whatever happens, like natural disaster hits, sickness comes, power gets cut, you need someone needs to like plug in an oxygen machine or keep breast milk frozen. Like there are so many ways in which we need each other. Particularly when like the systems we rely upon don't always function for us. A pandemic showed us that. And unfortunately the pandemic did something to us where where it's quite divisive. And I really think the only way out of this is to return to each other. And that's why I'm heartened by this sort of reverse of cancel culture, I'm hopeful it doesn't turn into, um, you know, harmful behavior, saying yes to harmful behavior. But I do think it's collectively a lot of us realizing like that this is the opposite of community care. So I'm engaged in that because that's hard, right? That's hard if, you know, you and your neighbor do not see eye to eye, but like if someone's house is burning, of course you're going to help them out. You know, if someone has a baby, you're going to bring them a casserole. Like these are the things we need to do for each other. And if you're listening or watching and you're like, damn, I really do want to do that and I'm not doing that. Great. This is your invitation to begin again. You know, like who had a baby? Who's sick? Who needs help? Be there for them. It doesn't actually take that much time. And it's like a muscle. We just got to get it stronger. Right. Oof. Oh, this is a topic that is so
0: dear to my heart, and I've been wanting to talk a little bit more and in many ways, I felt even afraid of being canceled <laughs> if oh, I was bring... with
1: this book launch, same. yeah,
0: yeah, it's like this this fear of if I share some beliefs that are a little bit against the current that I'm the bubble that I am, or you know, am I going to be canceled, but anyhow, yeah, um, that's real, if... yeah, which then really touches on the fear of not belonging but oh that's the <sighs> root
1: baby that's the root yeah. will i be kicked out of the clan the tribe and i'll be alone and the saber tooth tiger will come and eat me you know yeah it's yeah. real it's it's primal yeah. yes
0: oh i feel like i can talk and talk and talk but as we're getting closer to our end what is a message that you have for someone that is in the journey of wanting to create more rituals Or feel like they belong?
1: Well, I'd say if you're working with my book, there are four areas land, lineage, community, the self, and just start with the one that calls to you first, because there's usually one. You know, like if you're asking me right now, it would be community. But if you'd asked me six months ago, it would have been self. And just like do some bibliomancy, open it up to like the practice, and just do that one. Now, if you haven't buy my book, because I'm not going to be that person <laughs> that just says buy my book, that's so lame. Um, I'd say get outside, put your phone down, delete Instagram or whatever app it is, TikTok, whatever it is, delete it for a day. Leave your phone at home and just go outside and breathe. Hmm. Look up, look out, look down, look to the left. Look to the right. Breathe again. Orient yourself to being out of, like the four walls and ceiling of whatever dwelling you're in, and just start there. I'm not going to tell you what to write. I'm not going to tell you what to say, what to do, and how long. Just start there. Hmm. Thank
0: you for that. Thank you. (laughs) So as we're moving into the fire round questions, so just basically complete the sentence. Okay. My unique and special gift is I'm a really powerful listener. I am reclaiming my wildness. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. I no longer subscribe to
1: urgency culture. If my ancestors would speak, they would say the female ones would say we're being silenced.
0: And my wish for you, meaning the audience, is to move at a slower pace. Mm. Oh my goodness. I even feeling it. Oh. <laughs> ah, Becca, this was such a nurturing communication and conversation, communication. Conversation, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you share a little bit more? Where can the audience find you? And I know we talk about your book, but any other upcoming offerings?
1: Nope, no other offerings. <laughs> I'm going into winter's rest. Uh, you can find the book at rootandritualbook.com. You can find me beccapiestrelli.com. If you type some version of how you think that's spelled, the internet will tell you where to go. And I'm on Instagram beccapiestrelli. That's probably where I'll be hanging for the near future. And then I have a podcast. Uh, we're also going on a winter break called Belonging. That you can listen to past episodes. If what you're listening to, you're like, "Whoa, I want to talk more about these things." We talk about death. We talk about birth. We talk about community care, dreams, land connection, the hard stuff, all of it. Yeah,
0: I've started listening to several episodes, and I'm even your voice is so soothing (laughs) and so beautiful. So it's been, yeah, I love. There was one that you mentioned about just wandering off in nature. Uh And I was like, oh my God, I don't know if, like, like not having a phone, like a GPS, what if I get lost (laughs) hiking? But it was like this adventure that stayed within me. I might try it. I might even then document something on it. But it was like a fun thing to do. Yeah.
1: It's called purposeful
0: wandering. Yeah. So thank you so much for this conversation, for sharing your wisdom, your experiences, your vulnerability and, and the book, it's so beautiful and the illustrations. And I love that, that it's made in a way that you don't have to do, you know, in the linear, you can go.
1: Oh yeah. No, no, no linear, please. (laughs) Spiralic (laughs) is the only way. Thank you for having me. This was very enjoyable. I loved just getting real and raw with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. And for the audience, we'll see each other next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Licensed Psychologist, now what? To make sure you don't miss any episode, make sure to subscribe via your favorite podcast player and to join our email list via our website. Lastly, I will appreciate if you would rate and review our podcast to help us reach more folks that can benefit from the information provided here. Until next time, bye-bye.